Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. But if you're new here, every Saturday, we break down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency over a cup of delicious coffee, which is right here. Now, that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about the cataclysmic crypto markets, whether this is a bear market that we're in now, we've got some Cardano news, Harmony One, our usual 404 Logic Not Found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates. Now, as always, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who watch and support Crypto Over Coffee on the podcast platforms. If you want one of your questions answered, please do leave them in the comments down below. Tweet me at Hishoshi4, or you can leave them in the Hashoshi Discord, which is going to be linked in the description. Now, if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, hit the bell notification button, or follow the podcast on your platform of choice so you can get a heads up whenever I post new content here on the channel or on podcast platforms. Oh, and just as a friendly reminder, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments posing as me. I do not have a WhatsApp. I won't contact you on Twitter asking you to contact me. So if you're on YouTube, the comment doesn't have a highlighted name like you see on the screen. It isn't me. And uh, yeah, you can go ahead and report them. So make sure you be safe out there, folks. Let's dive into these questions, and then we'll dive into the news. Now, the first question of the day is from Callum Frazier. The question is simple. Should I buy some Bitcoin now? Now, we are right now, and we'll talk about this shortly when we get into the news, but we're in what everyone's fearing to be a full-on bear market, right? And we are down 50% off of the all-time highs for Bitcoin, and most of the altcoins out there are also in the red as well. So the question is, should you buy Bitcoin now? And this is, of course, you know, kind of hearkening back to the core question, which is, can you time the market? Is this the bottom? It's hard to say if this is the bottom. Technical analysis might tell you one thing. Someone else doing technical analysis might tell you another. You really can't tell. So that's why I'm an advocate of the dollar cost averaging strategy, because you don't have to worry about market fluctuations. You're going to buy the top sometimes, you're going to buy the bottom sometimes, and you're going to buy everywhere in between. So if you have a cadence that you're buying Bitcoin on, my recommendation, and I'm not a financial advisor, nor do I claim to be, would be to just stay the course and keep doing what you're doing and don't overextend yourself because we don't know which way the market's going to go. If you have some money set aside that maybe in stable coins that you want to invest if you have a long-term view of Bitcoin, now is not a bad time to buy because we know it can get to 65000 We're obviously down to half of that. So now could be a good buying opportunity. But I'm not telling you that you should or shouldn't. It's really dependent on your specific situation as you're watching this. So Callum, if you fit into one of those categories, if you're dollar cost averaging, if you got some on the side, the choice is yours. But now might be qualified as a good buying opportunity because of where we are in price compared to all-time highs. But be safe. All right. Second question of the day is from Alec Moffitt. How would you recommend taking profits? Should one store profits in stable coins? Now I took this question because I know that right now, a lot of people might be thinking about their strategy again, because I think usually when crypto is down, that's when people make a strategy. So I'm hopeful that when we set this up here, as we go into sort of the, if we're in a bear market, right? If we have to wait for the next entire cycle, people will have a strategy then. Or if we start to come back up and people are in the profit again in this cycle, you'll have a plan for taking profits. So I know right now profits might be at a, you know, an all-time low, but just bear with me. I would recommend taking profits according to some sort of scaled plan. This is going to be dependent on how much crypto you actually own. 
The way that I do it is based off of percentages. When I hit an all-time high, I take out a certain percentage of my holdings and I move them to stable coins. Stable coins are my preferred way because then, because of the sponsor of today's episode, Ledin, and this is a actual natural uh, shout out, I'm just getting it done here, Ledin, the sponsor of this, this Crypto Over Coffee series, they offer 12.5% uh, on USDC stablecoins. So I move all my profits to USDC and I put it in something like Ledin where it earns me yield. And while it's sitting there on the sidelines within Ledin, it's very easy for me to buy Bitcoin with those stablecoins. Or if I need to, I can move it out to an exchange to buy altcoins. That is my strategy. So let's just say we hit a new all-time high on Bitcoin. I would take out 10%, move it to USDC, where it would earn me a rate of return on Ledin, which you can sign up for down below, by the way. They're available in a wide variety of countries. So just putting that out there. And if you sign up through my link, if you make a qualifying deposit, you can get $25 in USDC. Uh, that being said, then it's just earning me yield, earning me yield. And then subsequently, when I see a buying opportunity, I can deploy those stable coins. So that's how I manage my profit taking. I'm not saying that's how you have to do it. But that's just an example. Other people say, I've made my money, I've made my profits, I'm moving to cash and I'm keeping the fiat. That's totally up to you. There's a lot of people out there that will say, oh, well, if you're doing crypto, then you hate fiat. To be honest with you, that's not always the case. And what might make sense for you is that you got to pay bills. You want to move your, your crypto into cash so you can pay bills or you can take a vacation or, you know, buy your wife something. That's totally up to you. So don't let people talk you out of that. If fiat's the right move, do that. If stable coins make the most sense and you want to redeploy in the markets, that's also fine. So there's my strategy. Thank you, Alec, for the question. And with that, we actually have a lot to talk about today. So we're going to go ahead and move into the news. Now, in true crypto over coffee tradition, let's start the news off with some Bitcoin updates and analysis. Now, it is no secret that Bitcoin is now down about 50% from its all-time highs in the mid-60Ks, and we're sitting between 34 and 38K at the time of recording with volatility. So I might be wrong at this point. Folks have been asking me repeatedly now, though, why is this happening? And it's complicated. First of all, we had months of almost perfectly positive trend lines for Bitcoin, making new all-time highs basically monthly for all of 2021. And that was never going to last forever. By the time April rolled around and it looked like the ravenous bullishness had started to fade a little bit, and Bitcoin was having trouble getting above and staying above 60K for a lot of that time. Then in May, basically every single fear tactic FUD storm hit at once, from Elon Musk and Tesla dropping Bitcoin as a payment method and making somewhat poorly researched claims about its to a resurgence of the India crypto ban, all the way through to IRS crackdowns, to China banning Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. I mean, you name it, there's basically every single thing that you can think of bad news-wise has happened. So it's been setting the crypto markets on fire, and the fear is largely why we've seen this much sell-off and blood in the markets. Now, how much of this news is actually very damaging to crypto and Bitcoin, both short and long-term? Very little. Very little has true long-standing impact on it, but that's not how people react to bad news. So altcoins have largely met the same fate as Bitcoin as well, down to multi-month lows, and I don't really see an end in sight to this in the short term, unfortunately. Last week, I closed the episode with a warning about the next period of time in crypto, at least the month of May, to be a rough ride and that folks should buckle up. And here we are on that ride, folks. This is not easy, but this this happens. Now, I can understand that your immediate next question will be, are we in a bear market now? And the answer is truthfully, maybe. 
I don't think that we're entering a multi-year bear market like we did in 2018, though the sell pressure that I'm seeing in the markets looks similar to 2018, if you ask me. That's just a, a thought. That could be, though, because we have a lot of people with trauma from 2017 where they lost everything they earned, and those people are selling at 34K and 38K and 40K because it's still profit from their entry position. So that's still very plausible. However, I think we are most likely in a deep correction, one that's going to last a while, and this will precede the next big run-up. Think about it like a hard reset. There was all this talk about this time it's different because of institutions, and it should be clear now that it's not different. This is still a speculative market, and history has shown us that this is how these bull and bear cycles have gone. I still believe that we haven't seen the last Bitcoin all-time high of 2021, but I am no oracle. I cannot pretend that I know more than I do, and that this that I'm saying is anything but a data-driven guess. Time is going to tell. But for folks that are currently in a lost position, and many are, this is the point where you have to make a choice. Do you cut your losses and take the tax loss benefit, or do you hold and wait for what we think is a new all-time high this year? That choice is exclusively yours to make, and it's the same choice that those in 2018 had to make when the market started to unravel. This time that we're in right now, is only more proof that it is so critically important to have a plan in the markets. As I've been harping about for a long time, and actually people are getting pissed off with me for saying it so often, but it's important so that you're prepared for these types of events. And I truly do believe that this time that we're in will pass, whether soon or longer down the road. And I'm long on Bitcoin, so I'm not sweating the short-term price moves, even though a lot of my dollar cost average buys are actually in negative right now. So outside of the Bitcoin I actively trade, I'm a long-term hold. Now, in other news, it's no secret that Cardano is one of the most polarizing projects in crypto. Its supporters will fight tooth and nail to defend it, and its detractors will go to great lengths to tear it down. However, one criticism that has been shared amongst both supporters and detractors throughout the history of the project is the length of time it's taken for Cardano to deliver features that other blockchains already have. Now, this includes the upcoming Gogan upgrade, which brings smart contracts to mainnet, and this is due to complete with the Alonzo hard fork in about two months' time. Now, recently, Charles Hoskinson, the founder of Cardano, did a Q&A where he shed light on what's gone on behind the scenes, many of which that have led to the delays that we've seen in the delivery of Cardano. Now, when asked about criticism about delays, Charles went on to take responsibility for the team's decision-making and engineering challenges that led to these delays, noting that the choice to use the functional programming language Haskell as sort of the core bread-and-butter language for Cardano introduced challenges that held them back early on, as the language maybe was lacking maturity or at least just wasn't up to the task and had to be retooled to become more modern by their team to work for their needs. That introduced delays. He also mentioned that the team rewrote Cardano three times to get it right, but didn't give details on what exactly caused those rewrites, and that's totally fine. First of all, I respect this candor in regards to admitting that the engineering and decision-making faults led to these delays, not necessarily scientific issues and research issues. I do think this helps clear up why things have taken a long time to deliver, and to me, I look at the proof-of-stake implementation and native multi-asset support on Cardano, and I feel that the wait was worth it. The technical foundations are good. So time will tell if smart contracts on the upcoming Pioneer testnet will also deliver on expectations, and I would expect to see that happening in June, probably, the launch, and then four to six weeks after that, you will see mainnet smart contracts. So exciting times for Cardano. Stay tuned. 
Now, next up is today's game of fact or FUD, where I take a piece of no good, very bad news and tell you whether it is fact or simply fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And this week's fact or FUD centers around the recent news about the U.S. Treasury Department imposing new regulations on crypto, the most controversial of which being a requirement to report cryptocurrency transactions that total more than 10,000 U.S. dollars to the agency. I guess the good news is, if this downward price action continues, no one's going to have $10,000 to send anyway. I'm just kidding. That, that's a joke, by the way. Anyway, the market reacted quite negatively to this news, no surprise, just like it virtually does to every rumor, mumble, or announcement of regulation anywhere in the world. But that's another story for another day. This specific rule here has struck fear into the hearts of crypto holders everywhere, imagining a world where every crypto transaction is subject to the law and scrutiny of regulators and lawmakers. But let's be real, folks. You're transacting on a public, immutable ledger. Your transactions are already subject to the scrutiny of any person who has the time or inclination to look around on a block explorer. That is not news. That is not news. The reporting mechanism, though, is news, because this is the first time that I know of that a U.S. government agency has laid out formal reporting guidelines for anyone but U.S. taxpayers in terms of interaction with crypto. However, this new proposal is being misreported, in my view, because it seems that everyone thinks that if, if you or I send more than $10,000 or receive $10,000 in crypto as an individual, that they now have to file some form with the Treasury. That does not seem to be the case based on the documents that I've seen circulated, based on the information that I've been able to find. Now, Eric Voorhees, the founder of Shapeshift and generally a measured person to follow in crypto, I highly recommend following him on Twitter, noticed this. So I'm going to share the tweet here for clarity. But based on this document and the highlight here, it appears that businesses like exchanges and crypto payment providers, for example, are going to be the ones who have to report transactions just like banks who get a big fat deposit or withdrawal request. So how does this affect you or me? Very little. So this is FUD, folks. It's not even being discussed factually right now, it seems. It feels like this is just an, an overreaction. It's being blown out of proportion. In my opinion, don't sweat this, at least until we get more information. This does not appear to be aggressive regulation. It's actually pretty small. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this video or this podcast get some attention from the algorithm robots, please do hit like, get subscribed, or follow the podcast because it tells the robots that control this content stuff that you're liking what you're listening to, liking what you're watching, and others might also. So thank you in advance. By the way, today's coffee is a Red Rooster Ethiopian coffee. Love Red Rooster. Now today, I've got to do a double header in 404 Logic Not Found because there's so much stupidity going on right now that just needs to be discussed. First and foremost, BlockFi is back on the 404 Logic Not Found stage with another major blunder this week that luckily for them has been largely overshadowed by the destruction of the crypto markets. And no, I'm not talking about the also irritating reduction of yield rates on BlockFi, which makes them less and less appealing to customers, but I digress. This is a different issue at hand today. Midweek this week, BlockFi began sending out reward payments to customers, and in the process, they sent hundreds or maybe even thousands of Bitcoin worth of rewards to the wrong people. 
In other words, they deposited Bitcoin into people's accounts that were not supposed to get Bitcoin or not supposed to get that much. I think it was reported they were supposed to get US dollars. Anyway, now some people must have noticed that they received these undue rewards and quickly went to withdraw them. And some were actually able to successfully do so. Now, I can't verify this for sure, but there is one user claiming that they received 700 Bitcoin by mistake, which is no small error. Now, I've been also seeing reports that the erroneously sent Bitcoin that was actually withdrawn, the stuff that actually made it out of BlockFi's control, is worth millions of dollars. And the last figure that I saw was that it was worth $7.5 million. BlockFi is now tracking down who has withdrawn that crypto and is threatening legal action if it's not returned. No surprise. This will surely develop more over time as we see whether everyone returns the Bitcoin they got or if legal proceedings have to begin for those who resist doing so. But all in all, let's be real. This type of mistake is just overall embarrassing. And while I I hesitate to make a bigger deal of this than it really warrants, I have to say that for a company whom I and many others trust to take custody of my crypto, for them to literally mishandle large sums of Bitcoin like this is rather concerning, right? Is it a trend? Has this happened many times before? No. Is it a real fear that BlockFi has affected customer funds? No, not at all. But it does raise a flag in my mind in some ways as to how this could have happened, how this was allowed to happen in the first place. Now, I can chalk it up to a rapidly growing company who made a mistake operationally, but it's surely a 404 logic not found. Now, as promised, there is a part two to 404 logic not found today. And by the way, it seems like most of you are interested in a full 404 logic not found show on my channel, which I'm going to explore. I'm pretty sure that I'm going to do it. However, I also saw a lot of concern about it being dropped from Crypto Over Coffee because I think a lot of you come to watch because of this segment. And I can promise you it will not happen. I will not remove it from Crypto Over Coffee. If I did a standalone show, it would be in addition to the segment here. So don't worry, it's safe. All right, back to the lack of logic. Now, yet again, it seems we are facing down some big, hairy China fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And this time centered around China banning Bitcoin and China banning Bitcoin mining. Today, we are focused on the latter. Reports began to swirl late this week that according to a government document, China is moving to ban Bitcoin mining in the country, which of course spurred another big panic sell-off in the Bitcoin markets as fear gripped holders everywhere. Now, if you remember, this rumor has been coming around for years, and it's been reported, in fact, several times before, and it has rarely, if ever, come to fruition in any meaningful way. But that's neither here nor there. This time, it actually does seem more real because an official-looking Chinese government document outlined some moves on this front. Now, it's being reported widely on the mainstream media, on Twitter, crypto media, that Bitcoin is a problem here because they're banning Bitcoin mining altogether in China. And I, I don't see an indication that this is the case, not yet. To preface, I don't speak or read any form of Chinese language. But in my deep dig online, I found several translations of the documents that imply that China is in fact banning mining that uses coal as power. In other words, highly polluting mining. This has already happened in Mongolia to my knowledge, but they are leaving hydroelectric powered mining alone. This move would in effect push miners off of coal and into hydroelectric power, which is far better in terms of pollution and waste. And naturally, Some miners would quit altogether because they won't be profitable or they don't want to. The effect of this question mark? What is that? Cleaner mining and less miner concentration in China. Can someone please explain to me how this is even remotely bad news? 
First, you have a whole slew of people in the wake of Elon Musk's drama saying Bitcoin is terrible for the environment, mining is centralized in China, everyone panic. Now there's real tangible evidence that mining will get cleaner in China, become less prevalent in China in the first place, and everyone now panics again. Do, do you see the illogical pattern here? We should be celebrating this in some ways, not freaking out or at least waiting for more information. More and more mining concentration has been moving out of China already. And I reported on it recently, but the first time my, mining in China's concentration was less than 50% was just recently. And they've been moving into cleaner energy and other places in the US and abroad. This is a good thing. We've wanted this for a while. Secondly, people have been saying how bad China's mining is in terms of waste and pollution. So if, if coal is banned there, that's great, right? Honestly, even if China is banning mining completely, no more mining ever, which I, I don't see a ton of evidence for at this moment, we would still be fine because mining will rebalance in other places, albeit with a lower hash rate, maybe a lower profitability rate and median. But the protocol is built to deal with this. So let's stop panicking. And for sure, let's stop the pa paradoxical reactions to things, worrying about minor centralization and pollution in China to FUD, and then panicking when China is banning elements of mining really is just a 404 logic not found to me. Okay, folks, you've been waiting for this. You've been asking me for this. People have been asking me for a while to look into Harmony One. So I did it, and here are my initial thoughts to share with you, sort of a primer, and it'll hopefully give you a foundational knowledge to determine if you want to dig deeper or not. In its most basic definition, Harmony One is a high-throughput blockchain network that is compatible with Ethereum applications and tooling, which makes it an appealing option for Ethereum users and developers that are looking for a respite from the high fees and congestion. At the sort of core of the protocol, Harmony One offers state sharding to spread load across network shards for both smart contracts and transactions. Thank you to that truck for making a lot of noise outside my office. And it will be leveraging parallelism to improve throughput on the blockchain network. Consensus is reached using their flavor of proof-of-stake called Effective Proof-of-Stake, or EPOS, to effectively achieve finality times of around two seconds per block. On top of Harmony One, there are also plenty of rich community members and users and applications, and it seems that work is being done using developer bounties to integrate more of Ethereum's core tooling and applications on Harmony. One thing in particular, though, that I'm really interested in is Harmony One's bridge with Ethereum and Binance Chain, and I got to read a bit about it, because interoperability, to me, is the future. So all in all, this is a pretty cool project that I will have to do more research on, albeit, but thanks to the community for letting me know what you want me to look at. I really do listen. I look at these things. I have limited time to work with, so it's a little slow, but I do care what you have to say. I do listen to your project recommendations, and I thank you for it. Now, folks, that's going to do it for Crypto Over Coffee today. Thank you so much for joining me. It's good to be back in my, my home Crypto Over Coffee office. People have been asking me where the sign is, etc. I'm back in my home office, so we're back in business. If you have some time to stick around, please do check out my top three VPN picks video. I think a VPN is a great base layer tool to start your path towards thinking about security and privacy. It's not a catch-all, but I did list my top three favorite VPNs. And if you want to check that out, I will link it on the screen here for you to watch next. But thank you so much for all the time that you spend watching Crypto Over Coffee. I wish you and your family a wonderful and restful weekend and week ahead. And until next time, cheers. <laughs>